Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. That is Abdurrahim Green. And that is Abdul. Like, oh, that and that is Abdul Haq Baker. And this is. Your volume's disappeared, bro. You've lost your. We've lost your volume. That happened the other day. How about now? Yeah, no, I can hear you now. Yeah. I don't know why that happened. Am I good now? Yeah, yeah you're good now, bro. Welcome, Abdurrahim. Good to see you again, my brother. Welcome to all our viewers. And today's subject is very interesting. I'm going to read straight there. Dr. Zed, welcome. Uh, patients, wa alaikum salam. Good to see you got here. Um, the, our, our regulars and some more. Salam alaikum, Amelia. Good to see you here as well. Sabrina, and that's wa alaikum salam. And that's Sarah. Sarah. Mary Deliva, wa alaikum salam. Tula. <laughs> Welcome all of you, Bon Lifon, Yalla, Yalla, yeah, we're ready to start. Now, what we're going to do, Abdurrahim, I'm going to yeah. read the hadith that we are going to focus on today. And I think, as we've highlighted, we're going to speak to our younger self. Wa alaikum salam, Amal, good to see you here. Yes, a piece of cake, definitely. So the hadith now, Abdurrahim, we know it, and it's, it's uh, classified authentic in Al-Bayhaqi and Al-Hakim. Take benefit of five before five. Your youth before your old age. Your health before your sickness. Your wealth before your poverty. Your free time before you are preoccupied. And your life before your death. Five before five. So what would you say, Abdurrahim, to your younger self about the first part, take benefit of your youth before your old age. Now, I'm not inferring for one moment that you're old, but I'm saying about your younger self and your older self, inshallah. <laughs> Bro, you know when someone says something like that, right? <laughs> I'm like, it didn't even cross my mind that I was old. Until you just said that. And then I just thought, he's slapping me up, bro. He's slapping me up with a cuss. In an indirect, no. like, I'm not saying you're old, but that's in fact not at all. Listen, you old geezer. <laughs> <laughs> you're as young as you feel, Abraham. As young as you feel, yeah. myself. I wish that was true, man. I wish that was true. Um, yeah, I mean, my younger self, to be honest, bro, the weird thing is, yeah, I wouldn't say much to my younger self. I'm way more impressed with my younger self than I am with my older self. And honestly, I actually think, and I hope, you know, Allah accepts it. The only thing I can't say is, I don't know how sincere I was. I have no idea whether I did things for the sake of Allah or not really. You never know that stuff. But in terms of my energy and in terms of my commitment and in terms of the, the amount of time and effort I put into the dawah, I couldn't, like, the only thing I could fault myself was that was maybe I was like, Maybe I was a bit too enthusiastic. <laughs> Maybe I worked a bit too hard, you know. Um, so I, I definitely took good advantage of my youth, right? As for money, I didn't have any money, man. I've been broke all my life until... Well, alhamdulillah, I think recently, in the last couple of years, is the first time that... Not the first time. Not the first time. But the first time in a long time that I've had a little bit 
you know, been a little bit comfortably financially, I would say. You know, I haven't had to really, really worry about, you know, how am I going to pay this and how, how am I going to pay that? So that's not really been a big issue for me. Wealth still isn't really. What about health? Um, yeah, health, health is, is definitely something, again, that um, I could have looked after my health better. Um, I've always been quite active, but I, I like my food too much and I eat too much of the wrong stuff. And I do fluctuate, my weight fluctuates. So I just go up and down my weight. like, And that probably is taking a toll on me, to be honest, and probably will. And that is something like everyone, I'm sure everyone has something to look out for out of all of those things. Some people may deal with some of those things better than others, yeah. I'm sure probably the thing that I'm going to suffer from more than anything else um, is is probably the ill effects of, you know, like constantly being pretty much, you know, overweight. Um, and what was it? Your life before your death? What would you say about your life then? Because I would this say is... that, bro. Honestly, I, you know what, I, you know, I, I look, I, I give talks around this particular lecture. I have many times. It's a beautiful hadith to give talks around. Yeah, to good, give a good mawida. Yeah, and there's another hadith that has some. There's another hadith that is quite similar. Um, you know that the two feet of the son of Adam will not move from their place in front of their Lord until Allah asks them about five, yeah? And so the overlap here is your life and what you did with it. Mm. Yeah? What did you do with your life, yeah? And, and I, I, I ask people, look, don't wait until that moment, yeah? And then your life, what you did with it, your youth, how you spent it, or another hadith, your health and how you cared for it, your money, how you earned it and, and how you spent it, and your knowledge and how you acted on it, mm. yeah? Mm. So I really ask people to imagine, don't wait until the day of judgment to be asked those questions. Ask yourself those questions now. If you're standing in front of Allah, what are you going to say, right? And obviously, you know, like everyone is going to be terrified on that day and probably I'll be, you know, too flipping terrified to say anything except please don't punish me. <laughs> but, you know... In my in myself here, thinking about it, what would I say if I had the chance to say? I think I would say that, yeah, I spent, up until now, I spent my life, you know, calling to la ilaha illallah. It's really what I did with my life, you know. I spent my life studying Allah's deen, maybe not like a scholar, definitely not like a proper scholar, but I spent my life studying it and teaching that to others and calling people to la ilaha illallah. You know, and that's what I did with my youth because I've been a Muslim since I was a youth, really. Not since I was a young, young kid, right? But since I was 20, 22, I'm like you, bro. We've both been Muslim since we were youth. And alhamdulillah, so alhamdulillah, I've been praying, you know, since then. And alhamdulillah, not just that, giving myself to dawah. How I earned my money and how I spent it, Allah knows, you know. <laughs> I mean, that is very, I have to say, that does frighten me a bit. Um, quite a lot, to be honest. Um, so I think that I, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I'm not going to sound arrogant to say, yeah, I've done a good job, but I have tried to live by those things. You know, I, that's, that's what I tell people, right? Try to give that, you know, a sense of urgency. I wouldn't say I've, even, I've ever been able to come close to what Hassan al-Basri, yeah, 
Because if you want to see the standard, obviously the standard is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's yeah. the standard, obviously, yeah. But there is a saying of Hassan al-Basri that just always blows my mind when it comes to this whole situation, yeah. And I think he epitomizes it in that saying that he said that um, for 40 years I didn't say or do anything except that I thought to myself, is this pleasing to Allah or not? Mm, and I would say, Allah. hand on heart, I haven't come Allah. close to that. Not even close. Like maybe I don't even think for a day I've done that in my life, let alone for 40 years, you know, whatever. I mean, that's the, that's maybe the sort of golden standard, you could say. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what I would say, because I guess I have, Abdul Haq, bro, I guess what I have is a a sort of outlook. I don't really dwell in the past at all. You understand? For me, my like my past was there. If I made a mistake, my attitude is, okay, what did I learn from it? What can I learn from that mistake? Mm. How can I take that mistake and benefit myself from it to make sure that I don't fall into that type of mm. thing again? And sometimes I look at my mistakes and I think, well, it's almost like I had to make those mistakes to be where I am today, right? You know, and then that, that's it. What else can you do except make Toba? And if you make real Toba, then inshallah, it wipes it all out. Inshallah. So and I think it, what... Keep what, what it farm, you know, bro. Yeah. That's it. But I, I think, think the purpose what, of these hadiths, hadith, hadith is to give you a sense of urgency to just make you realize, just stop hanging around with your life. Do something mm. significant with your life that is pleasing to Allah. Not significant in the sense that I was the biggest bad boy. I was the poshest posh, posh boy. I had the most bling. I had the like all that nonsense. No, it means something significant with Allah. How about you, Habibi? What was your assessment of yourself? Good. You know what? When I when I thought about asking you the question, and first I want to say salams to so many of you there, Sister yeah. Kira, Sister Salwa, um, the brothers. Mashallah, uh, mashallah. There's so many of them. I love seeing them there and their, their input mashallah. and it energizes us. Mashallah. For me, Abdurrahim, I think. I sometimes catch myself uh, thinking and reflecting. First and foremost, that I am really grateful that Allah guided me to deen. Yeah. Because when I think of my my um, jahiliya before I came to yeah. Islam, uh, some of which I've spoken about in some of the talks that we've done, yeah. some of which I can never speak about. But I actually am so thankful because that hadith that comes yeah. to mind for me is that hadith that, and I hope I'm, I, um, we are of the, the best of those ones, is that, that a person will do the deeds of the hellfire until they are handspanned away from it. And then what is decreed for them um, overtakes them and Allah yeah. uh, makes them the people of Jannah and they enter Jannah. Yeah. And then you have those who are acting, they've got, they do the deeds of the people of Jannah for most of their life and then what is written for them overtakes them and then they yeah. start, they, they, when they get a handspan from that they start doing the deeds of the Jahannam and it overtakes them and I just hope when I think about these things and I'm answering I think I hope that I'm of the former one that because of my background because of the life that I led before that it was going destined to Jahannam. Let's be frank, the stuff that I was yeah. getting up to, the, the yeah. circles I moved in, everything like that. And then Allah guided me to the deen. And one of the things that I do, I remember when it was coming up to being half my life being a Muslim, and I was really yearning to get there to say, if I get over that mark and Allah takes me, at least in myself, I can say, alhamdulillah, half my life 
I've been a Muslim. And alhamdulillah, that's mm-hmm. gone now. I've surpassed that by a few years, mashallah, tarakallah. Mm-hmm. But I had those, those anxious moments that I want to be in this dunya more as a Muslim than I was of a non-Muslim because of the, the extent of the, the, the badness. I'm not going to say any more than that, but that used to happen back then. So when I look at the first thing, your youth before your old age, yeah. like you, I, I know when I came to the Dean, I sort of thought to myself, I didn't think that I would be calling to Islam or speaking about the reality of Islam and everything like that. I didn't think that. I just thought, worship Allah, keep yeah. your head down. Then others obviously said, no, look, we've realised certain things that you've got. Can you, you? And as they say, I'm not saying this about me, but the best of you is the best of him in Jahiliya. And when I was in Jahiliya, if I believed in something, I stood for that thing and I would die for that thing. So when I came to the Dean, I was like, well, this is much more important than anything that I've ever had from before. And so I want people to know that this is the truth in this instance. So I suppose there was that zeal. You and I met, our paths converged and mashallah, I think that that part I would never regret about our youth. I think some of the most fantastic times of giving dawah was when you and I were on the road going to university, Definitely. seeing the, the the looks and the longing in people's faces for some sort of guidance. There's this white um, former Catholic, there's this black former street individual giving the same message, talking about Tawheed. Mm-hmm. And I think that that for me was an, an excellent part of the youth. What would I say? What would I say to my younger self? I know when I'm speaking from particular things, I might have said to myself, maybe I should have resisted more taking up the position, being forced into the position of chairmanship for Brixton. Some will yeah. say, no, why do you say that? Um, it's not something I wanted, but I did the best I could in that instance. And did it make me? Did it, did it mould me? I think I learned a lot from that. So there's no regrets because it's Allah's Qadr in, in that particular instance. But I want to switch it around. As we go through this hadith now, I want to switch it around to you and say, okay, so you've said about the younger self and like you, I don't often reflect to that extent to say, what would I have done differently? It's like, okay, if 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 I've done something wrong, make toba, try and move forward. But now we've got brothers and sisters listening to us. We've got children. What would you say to them now about their youth before they reach old age? What would you be saying to them now in line with this hadith? It's funny, like, the, the thing that comes to my mind immediately is an advice I gave to uh, one of my sons, right? Um, and uh, Marshall, a very athletic boy, yeah? And I, that's how I raised him, actually. I raised him to be, you know, literally an athlete, actually. Um, he didn't follow that path, alhamdulillah, you know, but I raised him, like, with a very athletic sort of approach. Um, and even getting involved in sports on a sort of high level. Um, but I noticed that he had certain eating habits that he were not different from my eating habits, you know. And I used to say to him, look, you know, if you keep eating like that now, right, when you get to my age, and yeah, you joke about me being fatty and whatever little names he used to call me, yeah, <laughs> the kids, whatever, you know, I said, you're going to end up like me. Yeah, you're going to find it really, really hard yeah, to control yourself because you've developed that habit. But I was so skinny when I was younger, right? I was, I mean, even though I worked out and I was very athletic, I like whatever I ate, I burnt through it. Like I mm. burned through it. Mm. I, I was burning more calories. I couldn't consume enough calories, you know? So I remember, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, Yahya Ibrahim, Sheikh Yahya Ibrahim used to be really big. 
Yeah. He did. And yes. Then, like, yes. Really big. And I remember talking to, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, you know, like I, I, I gave him advice, you know, like not that I'm the best person, like, <laughs> like not skinny myself. Right. But I said, chef, you know, you got to get, you know, I got to advise you, chef, you know, you got to get hold of this. It's not good. Right. And he, he explained that he used to really be into American football. Right. So into it, like he was crazy about it and his parents did not want him to be you know playing american football but he just went ahead and did it anyway and he was on again a really high level and basically he just got really badly injured right and he said the amount i had to eat when i was playing american football it was literally thousand like i couldn't same thing he couldn't eat any you know they have to bulk up to get rid they have to be big muscly and big and it's like you can't almost eat enough calories he said mm. the problem is i was that was my brain was set on Eat, eat, eat. And so when I stopped, I got injured. I couldn't even exercise anymore. I kept the habit. I just, my brain is just in that process of eating. And I, you know, but to be honest, bro, that's true about everything that you should understand. Whatever habits you build now, they are going to stay with you. Right? That's right. If that's you build right. the habit of prayer, you build it into you. Mm. Alhamdulillah. You right. will just keep doing it. But if you build into yourself bad habits, like I've met so many brothers who, you know, unfortunately, they can't go to the toilet. I don't know, maybe this has changed, right? But I used to remember back in the days, there were brothers who used to smoke in the toilet. And these are like more elderly brothers. You're not talking about. And like, I would always say, what, what are you smoking? He said, look, when I was a kid, literally a kid, you know, a young, young kid he used to smoke. And the only place you could smoke was in the toilet. And it became stuck in his brain. It's like literally he can't go to the toilet unless he has a cigarette because those two things are connected. It's literally he can't physically do it, right? And so this is, it, this is really the brain, right? Those patterns you form as a youth are what is going to stick with you, right? If you get into that habit of praying and reading Quran and going to the masjid and making dhikr and making tawbah, right? and being good to your parents and all that type of stuff, right? And having good manners, that's going to stick with you. The other stuff, all those other bad habits, it's going to stick with you. That is something that, and you can break it. You can, but it is hard. And I mm. want to say, by the way, from my study of this subject, and I, I do a whole online course on it, right? On willpower. And I talk about this aspect, right? That from what we know from neuroscience, this is what they believe. Um, is that, you know, we have the saying, old habits die hard. Right. Yeah. Right. Apparently, old habits never die at all. In your brain, whatever habit you have formed produces neural pathways. It's like roads, yeah, dug into the countryside. Yeah. 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 Like you can stop using those roads, yeah, and maybe some weeds and trees will overgrow, but those roads are going to stay there, right? And that's why it happens to people suddenly, like they unexplicably, right? They formed a new good habit. And then sometimes they just fall back into that old rut. That's right. That's because right. The, the pathway that you formed for it, right, is still there, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's why you can sometimes fall in. So really be careful. Don't think that, you know, I'm going to change when I get older and I'm going to improve myself. As Omar ibn al-Khattab said, it is easier to keep away from sins than it is to really make a sincere repentance 
from your sins. Mm. Yeah. And and there's a because, there's a key thing there yeah. that Sister Salah was just highlighted. This is this is beautiful, Abdurim. Yeah. Sister Salah was just said about taking baby steps. And that's yeah. the thing that we many of us fail to advise new Muslims or returnees to Islam about taking baby steps. And especially with the social media that's there now, you'll see the individuals, because of that overzealousness, they want to dive in and do everything. And I think it's really key what you've just said there, because if those neural pathways, which you've mentioned, are there, and they are, and they're deep, you've seen when individuals have found it's too much, they've been going too fast, too rapidly, they've been trying to do what everyone else has been telling them, overload with this new faith that they've found. And we know in Christian Christianity, it used to be backsliding, when someone would backslide and you'd see them no longer in the church and in the nightclubs and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the Muslim, it, it, what happens is they fall off so badly and that guilt complex that accompanies them is such mm. that I, I can't do that anymore. I'm not wor yeah. worthy or deserving of being a Muslim. This is shaitan again. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that, neural, that neurological pathway that you've mentioned, yeah. that road is so deep but they're so used to have traversed that, that they return to it and they go yeah. even deeper into that particular road. And I think that that comes down to the other part of the hadith now, that when we're looking at that about your free time before you become preoccupied. And this yeah, is a key yeah. thing now, because yeah. let's look back in the day when you and me know the hedonistic days where we had so much free time, there were drugs, there was all sorts of stuff to fill that space. Yeah. And the question was, were we filling that space because of boredom or were we filling that space because there was a fear of confronting and facing our own thoughts and our own realities? That's Good something question. that, so, so, so some of us may have been doing that, some of us, it may not have been the case. Well, what was it for you? It, it was, you know what, that's a very good question because when I got to about 1920, yeah. And I'd been drinking from the age of about 12, 13. Yeah. Um, my, my, I, I mentioned before my Italian friends, one made homemade wine, white wine, he's up there, mm. other friend of mine made yeah. red wine. And I used to drink in school. And this can, you talk about patterns. When I was working in the legal profession now, mm. and my now wife used to come and meet me in the morning, the first thing I'd do would be pulling alcohol out from, I'd have a bottle of uh, oh, cognac or something under the bed. I'd pull it out, drink it. I was ready to go to work. Oh lunchtime first thing oh, in the morning first thing in the morning in the afternoon and the pressure of work i, I took 225 yeah. cases i was instructing barristers nightclubbing yeah. all of that and and in oh, the afternoon yeah. it'd be like go go for a drink have a smoke stuff oh, in total intoxication after him when i ended up in hospital yeah. in i think 18 um and they yeah, said to me remember, look yeah. after a week they said to me after a week i was in hospital they said you still got alcohol in your urine after a week. Oh my God. How much do you drink? And I'm like, well, I only have about once every time. I said, no, no, no. Oh, You've been in God. hospital for one week and you still got alcohol in your urine, in your blood. So for me, I had to start addressing things around 18, 19. And I realized that the yeah. divorce of my mum and dad impacted on me um, really heavily. And, and, and that, that accounted for my violence, my temper, the lifestyle, the, the so sort you, of. You think, it was an escape, you think it was an escape process for you, a sort of yeah. a relief, an escape? There was, the, yeah, there was yeah. that. It was the lifestyle I was leading anyway, but then I asked myself, everyone I'm around must be going through something as well. Because mm -hmm. most of my, let's say my gang, I think all of us were from single parent families, either through our dad, parents, our father's dying, or divorced from parents. Yeah. Um, as I said, and so 
together, when you come together, we were very loyal to each other, very united. SWS, yeah. as you know, a lot of us came to the Dean. But then were we going living through a trauma together? And so that pre that free time that we had, we were very creative in that. We made music, we um we started night run nightclubs, illegal raves, everything like that. And we were yeah. we were violent together when things would kick off and everything. But when things died down and you were left with your thoughts, okay, yeah. that free time, I think for myself, I knew there was God. Okay, I knew knew there was God. That's why I went to church, became a born again Christian, left that because Christianity wasn't for me. And the the, the most the ultimate time, I think the tipping point, as everyone knows when I, I talk about it, when one of my friends are sitting there drinking in my home, bought my second home with my wife, was relaxing, and he he asked me, he said, um, we believe in God, yeah, but I believe in God. Um, do we believe in the day of judgment? I said, Of course I believe in the day of judgment. He said, What are you gonna say to God if you die tomorrow? What are you going to say to him on the day of death? You're going to die tomorrow. And I looked at him and I became angry. And he said, I'm going to the mosque to become a Muslim tomorrow. I've never been to a mosque before. We've been talking about Islam and everything. So he, that stayed with me. What will you say to Allah if you die tomorrow on the day of judgment, knowing what you've learned about Islam? So I stayed yeah. up all night. Remember, your free time and before you become preoccupied. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to myself, when I sat there all night and my wife came downstairs and she saw me sitting in the same spot because I couldn't answer that question. Oh, I couldn't God. answer it. And I thought, but if I become a Muslim and I backslide like I did in Christianity and everything like that, and I thought, no, what I'm going to do, I had a shower and I didn't know where the mosque was. I just knew it was five miles down the road or whatever. I jumped on the bus and I went. And that was the most profound free time I have ever had in my life and I had to make that decision. Yeah. And Allah guided me in such a way that even when I think about it now, I think, SubhanAllah, if I didn't make that move at that time, if Allah hadn't guided me at that time, where would I be now? I know for one, as many others have said as well, my mum said it, you wouldn't have lived to 30. My wife said it, you wouldn't have lived yeah. to 30. My sister yeah. and friend said, you won't be alive now, or you would be yeah. in jail, or you would be, be, you'd be dead, one of the two. So. Yeah. When I read that part, your free time, before you become preoccupied, that was my moment. And being preoccupied as I have been now with the Dean, with family, with things that are here. And you said one thing, Abdurrahim, in Hyde Park one day, and I don't think you remember it. And you were speaking to, you and me used to go, you, you was talking to a, a, a non-Muslim, and you just said one thing, we was talking about things and you said, she said, what if all of this isn't true? What if there isn't a God or blah, 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 blah. And I thought you was going to say, no, there is a God and you was going to come from that point. And you said to her, do you know what? At least I know I would have led my, my a very righteous life in which I didn't harm people and I did everything virtuous. And I was like, whoa, that caught me out. I was like, hold on a minute. Yeah. Therein is an answer in itself. But then you came back to say, but there is a God and this and this yeah, and this. Yeah. And I thought to myself, so what is righteousness? What is righteousness? When you point to someone and say, he's a righteous man, mm. what does that mean? And when you look at Muslims adhering to the faith, being conscientious to mankind, being good to nature, to animals, caring about the environment, that's righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. So you ask me, yeah, that space that I had, I thank Allah that that last moment I was able to fill it 
with not being able to answer, and I can answer. Abdurim, you know, I've been, I've been kidnapped at gunpoint, this, that, whatever. And being able to answer and to get yourself out of a situation yeah. was something that I was used to. But sitting there with that question, unable to answer it, with your thoughts mm. that left me in a state of almost paralysis, yeah. I said to myself, then the only thing is to do is to submit. I had no other choice in that moment of silence yes. and free time, but to submit. And alhamdulillah, I did. Alhamdulillah, bro. Alhamdulillah, man, that's a... I forgot that, man. That is only when you told me that story again, I remember. SubhanAllah, I remember that. SubhanAllah. Well, I always say that if I hadn't become Muslim, I, I don't think it would have been so dramatic. Like I, I said, I would have been a beach bum, right? That's what I would have been. Literally, I probably would have been either a beach bum or a ski bum or maybe a beach ski bum. I don't know if they exist. You know, like <laughs> what bit of both? Um, you know, but I, I not really, you know, the, not not a misuse of my life, but certainly not the best use of it either, to be honest. Right. Um, but for me, like I didn't. Interestingly enough, like I drank socially. I didn't drink because I really enjoyed drinking very much. Um, I sort of drank because I thought it was the thing that I was supposed to do. But I never really enjoyed it. I never really enjoyed going to the pub. And even when I started smoking like, you know, uh, you know, hashish and marijuana and stuff like that, for me, it was all part of, it was literally part of my sort of spiritual journey. I, it was more like a spiritual experiment. I was looking... What I was looking for different dimensions of reality because I was just thinking there must be more to life than this. And I was looking for something, anything that might expand my mind and, and, and try to just be able to almost like break outside of the matrix. You know what I mean? I realized I was trapped in this. I knew I was trapped in this matrix. I knew I was trapped in this worldview that I knew was just rubbish and false, right? But I had no idea, like I was a Buddhist, I did yoga, I did meditation, I would spend hours like meditating. I could, I used to be so good at yoga, I could put my leg around the back of my head, you know, was like, I, was like, I was really well into it, yeah. And, um, and I would meditate and I would, you know, so I was really into sort of spiritual stuff. I was really reading and researching. So I did, I spent a lot of my time doing that, reading, researching, um, uh, it was all books in those days. Either you read books or you sat with people, right? So for me, but then I guess that what happened, that, that it did become an escape for me in the end. Right. right. You know, the smoking became, and it became an escape. Here's the irony, yeah? It became an escape not from the false reality. It became an escape from the actual true reality. Right. Because I discovered Islam, Right. And when I discovered Islam, right, that's it. I knew it was the truth, right? So I, I discovered Islam. I knew it was the truth. And then my girlfriend at the time, she freaked out. And I just didn't want to lose my girlfriend. So I sort of stopped practicing Islam. And that was it. I was just miserable. I remember that was literally two years of misery because I knew the truth. Right. I knew what the truth was and I wasn't, I wasn't acting. And I would, get up every, I would get up every morning, bro. And I would look, and I had this Quran, Yusuf Ali. Remember those big, thick Yusuf Ali Quran? Yeah, hardback. Right? Yes. And yes, it was yes. still wrapped up in plastic, bro. 
someone had given it to me and it was wrapped up in plastic and it was sitting there on my desk and ne- and with it was my you know my bong you know and my all my <laughs> all my you know all my my equipment right yes. and it was like i would look at the quran and every and every day i'm saying i should pray i should open that book and read it and then i would say no no i, I i'm i'm only going to open that book when i'm pure right and when i'm really pure and ready and then that was it I, just my day would just descend into that that flipping haze of um you know uh weed induced that's what it was it was literally a thick cloud right that just clouds your mind right it wasn't you know it was just it was just a nasty 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 habit that's all it was a nasty habit that didn't help me in any way shape or form it was just a miserable but look at that though life you know you know yeah look at that though both of us Allah brought us from that he could have taken us yeah. In those moments of our time. Yeah, I mean our free time. Yeah, and 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 alhamdulillah, yeah. the preoccupation yeah. that we have had since that time hopefully has redressed that imbalance. Inshallah, we know when we embrace Islam, the past sins mm-hmm. are forgiven, everything like that. But also I think for me, talk still sticking about that thing with regards to time and how we spent our time before we became preoccupied. When I saw Surah Al Asr. And even now, when I think about that surah, by time, verily by time, yeah. man is in a state of loss. Yeah. Except who? Those who believe and enjoy each other to truth and enjoy upon each other, patience. And when you look at the world today in its uh, confusion and everyone looking at the elections, uh, becoming, uh, the upcoming collection, uh, elections in America, looking at the craziness of that's happening around the world. You only have to step back. And if aliens exist and ever came down, um, which I don't believe, but Jin obviously, and they were to look at the world, they would see yeah. these people are lost. They're in a state yeah. of loss. You know, yeah. now um, speaking, if I was speaking not just to my younger self, but to the young, younger people now about time and um, how they spend their time, I would be saying to them, look, look at what is happening around, but also look at what you're doing in there. And Jazakallah, Sister yeah. Samuel, yes, it's a, a nitma that we, we were guided to Islam, alhamdulillah. I would say, what are we doing in this time now? You were saying about um, what was distracting you or detracting you from prayer. We don't have that time, that the excuses now to... to um, to say we we cannot do our prayers. We don't have the excuses now to say we haven't got enough time. We have enough time looking at what has been imposed upon us as a result of this pandemic. And I want to move just yeah. quickly, Abdurrahim, as that's we're going true. on here. You brought up that, that point of that pandemic, bro. Yeah, no, and that, that's because right. Bro, so, it means a lot of us have got a lot of time on our hands, right? A lot of us have got, and what are we, what are people doing with this spare time? Like, exactly. I remember a brother telling me, right? Uh, Marshall, a very good brother, lives Marshall close to Allah. me here. And he was saying like, okay, so family, or talking to his family, what have you been done? What have you been doing during this pandemic? Have you been reading more Quran? Have you memorized more Quran? Have you learned religious knowledge? Are you praying more? What? Oh, no, no, none of that. We're just watching more Netflix movies. Exactly. That's not a good time. That statement there that came up from one of the, uh, that time is a thief. 
that you can never catch. Mashallah mm. time. And it is like, we're sitting here now, and alhamdulillah, hopefully we're imparting and sharing khair and, we're, and goodness. And we've got others who are, are, are commenting and sharing these gems that they're dropping in, in here. Sister Salwa, this individual, Sister Kira, Shabnan, all of the, the brothers, Jordan. The point is, this time is never going to come back. The point is, when we go to sleep tonight, and inshallah we wake up tomorrow, that time's going to be gone. And, and I want us to look at, again, in that is something intangible, in that this is wealth as well. This is wealth, because wealth is not just the tangible possessions. Wealth can be yeah. time and how we utilise that time. Wealth can be our health and how we utilise our health. I know that my knees are short sure, to yeah. shreds because of the amount of football and dancing I used to do and crazy stuff and everything like that. And there are other aspects of damage yeah. that I've done, not to my liver, thankfully, but from all the alcohol abuse and drinking and the smoking and everything. And as you said yeah. to your, your um, and even overeating, even overeating and getting um, conditions, diabetes, some of us have got um, other things. Some brothers I know have got gout from their love of red meat and everything. There's so yeah. many things from excessiveness that um, we had before in our youth where we did not take care of our health and yeah. it's catching up upon us now. Pay back, pay back time. And so to the youth, to the, young, the younger ones, I would say, look at this hadith really seriously and keep it as a reminder, taking five, benefit of five before five. And that ultimate comprehensive one about your life. And we, we, we need to know that no matter how bad your life is, has been, no matter how negative things are that we, we have faced, we've got the hadith of the individual who killed 99 and then plus one, he killed the 100. And yeah. he's still trying to get to or achieve success yeah. in the land he was told to go to. He died on the way, the beautiful narration that the angel of death um, uh, the angel of punishment came and measured and said, no, he didn't make it to his destination, so he's going to um, hell. Then the angel of mercy came and said, no, um, he's, let, let's measure. And Allah put his life back in for him to crawl one hand span, and he was found to be nearer to the land he was fleeing to, so then he entered um, paradise. But the point being, it doesn't matter how overwhelmed with negativity we may be or we may have, that our lives, until Allah takes us, are still there to do the good, are still there to achieve Allah's pleasure, are still there to remove some of the ills that we've done. We know the hadith um, that the Prophet وسلم, said to Mu'ad ibn Jabal when he was sitting on the mount behind the Prophet وسلم, he said, O oh, Mu'ad, fear Allah wherever you may be and follow up a bad deed with a good one. It yeah. will wipe it out. So I tell my children this. I say, don't be like the, the brothers of youth, like, let's do an evil deed and then make uh, toba for it. But what we need to do is say, okay, I've done a bad deed. We know, as the, we, um, the hadith tells us, the malaika on the left, do not write that deed down for between six to nine hours. I can't remember which one it was, as I've said before. So we've got that time to do the good deed. We've always got that time with our lives to rectify and make toba. Um, in that instance. So for me, this hadith, I think, is tremendous. And I would offer to the younger self, um, uh, I would say, we need to get them to look at that. We need to get them to ponder and be patient. And while you've got your youth, and your youth goes right up to the age of 40, and then some, some say, while you've got your youth, you've got to seize it with both hands and know that that things are not as 
as bad as they are. We hear the youth saying our futures have been destroyed because of the economy, because of global warming, because of everything. No, your your youth is what you make of it and the path that you decide to um, pay. We, we see the we see those the, the, the poor in, in Asia, in Africa, um, and we see they have nothing. But you see that light and joy in their eyes because they are acknowledging what they have, not what they don't have, and they are taking advantage of it and benefiting from it. You know, and so we need to make sure with everything we've got of the trappings of Western um, uh, society, we have got to say to ourselves, our youth, take advantage of that. Our free time, we've got more of it, as you've said. Are we reading more Quran? Are we doing sunnahs? Our health, that means our mental health as well. And with our mental health, one really, really important thing, Abdurrahim, you know what? It's true. In the recitation of the Quran, in the pondering over of the Quran, there is a healing. Wallahi, that is so true. Even if you're just listening and listening to the ta'til of Abdul Basit, even if you're just reading the English and sitting and reflecting, even if you sit and reflect, those of you who can see the sunset or see the sunrise, Abraham, when you post um, the pictures of when you've gone on your bike rides, I actually look at them and I'm like, Rabbana ma khalaqtu batil and subhanaka fakina adabannar. You know that, that, that ayat in the Quran. Oh, oh, our Lord, you have not made this without any purpose. Yeah. Um, uh, Subhanak, protect us from the, the fire. We've got so much to reflect on in our free time. We've got so much to be grateful for with our health. And our wealth is our health as well. Subhanallah. And I, I could go on and on and on. I think one of the things of the heart that, you know, I would like, I think a very important message we need to get out to the youth, whether they're listening or whether the people who are listening are parents or, you know, like everyone knows some youth, right? So one of the things that I feel is that there is very little aspiration. And I don't mean like, yes, people aspire to, you know, be a, you know, a pop star. You know, like a lot of people aspire to this instant fame. They want to be famous. They want to be a, you know, big YouTuber. They want to be this. They want to be that. They want, they want the bling and they want the fame and they want the whatever. I'm not talking about that, right? What I'm talking about is aspirational. And let's go back to that hadith, right? Make use of your life. What, what you know, what, your, your feet will not move until Allah asks, right? What have you done with your life? Mm. And this is very important parents need to give their kids something to aspire to to be aspirational to do things for islam and you know something bought something was really something bought this home to me really profoundly when someone messaged me on instagram and it was a brother from morocco and he is saying help me come over to the west it was like bro like seriously you you need to study the situation here right it is really really they're making it as hard as possible for anyone to come over here right he said well surely there must be something i can do you know like you know like i can cook i can be a babysitter i can whatever right i said bro here if you want to be a babysitter you need a degree and a qualification and a and, and a cbr check right you know like you you know, just to be a babysitter, just to be a nanny, like this is the type of stuff. It's not, it's not like what you think. 
I said, why don't you start something there? Oh, there's nothing here, right? There's nothing here, right? And I'm sure that's not true, bro. I'm 100% sure that that is not true. But the problem is when a person has been conditioned, right? You think that the la and that's what it is, what I realized, because I talked to some people, and they, what I realized, it is about the conditioning, right? If you are conditioned to think that there, no, there are no opportunities, there is no way, there, is, there are no possibilities, right? right? And, and that's something I noticed about the West, is that although we may criticize and you know, people make fun of, and even Prince Charles talks about it, right? This generation that everyone wants to be, you know, everyone wants to be, everyone wants to be a celebrity, yeah? But the, the thing is that, although yes, that is problematic, the wider culture, the wider culture, right, is a culture of saying to people, you know what, you can do it. If you put in the hard work and you put in the effort and you put in the dedication, you can get there, you can reach it, you can make it. And you know what, we're going to have a society that's going to create those avenues for you to be able to go out and, and do it. And you know, this whole lockdown thing, I always say to my kids, I'm saying to them, because I've got kids at that age who are being really affected negatively, but I've always told them, don't fall for this nine to five rubbish, right? Don't fall for this stuff, please, right? Do something better with your life than being a slave, like, being someone else's donkey, right? Seriously. Come on, you can do better than that. Do something for yourself, right? And the opportunities are, honestly, they are unprecedented. Yes. You don't even have to pay. The educational resources that are available to you without having to pay a penny. I'm talking about high-end universities, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, like across the board, free courses, let alone the huge amount of content there is on YouTube. Even just pay 10 pounds, 50, 40 pounds, the price of a flipping couple of, you know, meals at McDonald's, you can get really good courses that can teach you amazing skills that you can utilize and build on. It's, it's unprecedented, the opportunity. What it takes is number one, you've got to have that aspiration, right? Right. You've right. got to believe that you can do it and you've got to accept as well that getting there takes hard work, right? Yes. It is not going to fall from the sky. And that, that is the problem, right? The problem is the instant, you know, everyone wants this instant success, instant gratification, instant this and it. There is no instant nothing. Even those brothers, right? You look at, you look at, um, you look at Nabil, right? Who went on Britain's Got Talent, the comedian, the Nigerian brother, yeah, right? Yeah. That guy has been working his butt off since he's a kid, right? That's he right. has been doing the circuit. You may think he just came like boom like that and started telling some jokes. No. Any of those people who got that? No, this guy has been working and grinding and suffering and subhanAllah what he went through, right? To be able to get there. I know a little bit about him, right? SubhanAllah. Yeah. And he, you know, many, many problems, many difficulties suffered from, right? Not to mention the fact that he's black and he's Nigerian and all that, everything that comes with that, which you know more about than I could ever know, right? Subhanallah. It, but you can get there. You can if you're ready to, mm. you know. He took the leap. He did it, you know. He and did. Mashallah, he got to the finals. He took, yeah. that, he took that gamble, right? 
you know, mashallah, like, so, it, look, you don't have to go on Britain's Got Talent. I don't even know how many people watch that anymore. But the point being is that, you know, the opportunities are there if you're ready to put in the hard work and if you have the aspiration, right? It's the op It's unprecedented. This lockdown is not, don't ever, I, I'll give everyone one, one really, really, you know, something I, I totally believe in, yeah? Everything, look at it as an opportunity. Never, because that is what, you know what? That's what it means in my opinion, having a good opinion of Allah, right? Having yes. a good opinion of Allah, right? Is saying, no, no, this is not, this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. Allah is giving me an opportunity. If you're smart enough and you're clever enough and you work hard enough, everything is an opportunity. I want to talk a little bit about this whole cartoon controversy. It's, again, how many times has this kicked off from the first Danish cartoons? And I said, you can read my blog, Islam's Green. I don't write for it anymore. It only went on for a couple of years. Yeah, But I, had a, I have an article there back in the days when those first Danish cartoons. And what did I say? I said, this is a dour opportunity. That's what it is. Right. This is a dour opportunity. Don't, don't take it in a negative way. Take it. Where's the opportunity? Oh, yeah. This is a really good chance for us, right, to talk to people about Islam and to give them dawah and to explain to them really how beautiful Islam really is. How amazing. Look at the Prophet Sallallahu Why are we upset? Well, look at the character of the Prophet. Look at the personality. How could he not be a messenger of Allah? These are opportunities. The lockdown is an opportunity. These things are opportunities, all right? And we will be questioned about this. And even, sorry, I want to finish, bro. Even Go on. Nabil, right? A classic example. Like, after all the rubbish that he's been through in his life, what has he turned it into? He's turned all that rubbish that he's been through to in, in his life into an opportunity to yeah. tell some really flipping hilarious jokes, <laughs> right? About, <laughs> brilliant, you know, brilliant. You know, and, and no, in you're right. belittling the experience, the ne negative experience. He wasn't making light of it, the ne negative experience of being black and being Muslim, yeah. But mashallah, he, he can say things that you can only say by making because he's black. Out. Now, he owned it, and, yeah. that, and that's the thing, he, he, he owned did. it. I think what you're speaking about there, Abdurrahim, mashallah. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, brothers asked about planning should, can you plan, and um, should it be? or should you live day to day? You should do both. You should plan and you should live day to day. But what Abraham has been speaking to and speaking about, which I think he's, he's elaborated upon really, really well, is our preoccupation. What are we doing with our time? This hadith, and as he said, the two feet of Adam will not move on the day of judgment until you're asked about these particular questions. And Let's look at this, for example. We read Surah Kahf, and I've mentioned this before. Those youth, they fled by choice. For yeah. what reason? For the pleasure of Allah, to be away from the evil and the decadence they were seeing in the society. They chose to do so. Now we're in a situation where we, we still have a choice. Yes, this pandemic has been sort of like, not imposed, but it's shrouded uh, us. But but we still have a choice. And if we take any lessons from those youth in the cave at that particular time, it was them seeking solitude in order to worship Allah properly, 
and to be away from the sins and the harm of the people. Yeah. Now, we don't have to flee to mountains or anywhere else. We've got our homes that we can do that and we can make our own places of abode that yeah. sanctuary, if we like. And this is not just uh, idealistic words. These stories happened in the Quran. These, pe these people really existed. They really did go for 300 something years that Allah kept them there, add 10 of the lunar years. We, we need to ask ourselves, why are we feeling the disdain in the environment and circumstances that we're, we're living in when we know from this religion, yeah. solitude when imposed upon us, solitude when chosen is something that we can use to our advantage and we can use our time and utilize our time a lot more wise. How many times, when we go back, and let's look at post-pandemic, this is one of the reasons I wanted to look at this topic as well. Let's look at post-pandemic. What are we going to do? Are we going to do, I doubt it, but are we going to do what we're seeing with uh, non-Muslim society that want to dive right back into hedonism, partying and drinking and and the thing is, they weren't doing that to that extent pre-pandemic, okay? But they, they feel that their freedoms are being curtailed. What are we going to do? Are we going to visit the sick? Are we going to spend more time with loved ones and be greet each other with the salams and the hadith about the shaking of the hands and the sins falling from our hands while we're shaking the hands of our brother and the sister shaking the hands of her sister? Are we going to be doing these things and yes sister Shabnam, you're right the lockdown has forced recalibration of the dean and are we doing that i like that word sister Shabnam. are we recalibrating are we actually looking at okay now let's focus on our dean and then post pandemic we come out of it better people will that happen will that happen and we really need to ask ourselves that question how are we going to be post-pandemic or is this the new normal and Abraham, i want to mention one thing here and i've been thinking about it quite a lot and i want to say jazakumullah and allahumma barak to all sisters who wear the niqab i now i don't know if i can say that i understand but wearing the mask as regularly and as frequently as i've done i say uh, my daughters used to wear it my, my wife wears it and everything um it, it's humbled me. It has yeah. humbled me. Okay. Um, subhanallah. And and again, it's what things are we learning from this? What? How are we going to be on the other side of this? You know, it's really important. And this is the now is the time. And I want to get everyone to keep that word from Sister Shabnam in their head. Recalibration. Now is the time to do that. Absolutely. We don't know how long this is going to go on, Abdurrahim. We really don't know how. But my thing is, should we be sitting waiting for how long it's going to go on? Should we be waiting? Or should we just say, you know what? This is the new normal. And again, looking at this pandemic, and Nabil brought it up in his um, final, or the, the semi-final, which I thought was brilliant, when he was uh, going out for his walks, and he saw that um, the bars were shut, um, everyone was wearing a mask, no one shaking hands, and he said... We won, we won, and that was quite yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, when he yeah, said that. Right, yeah. So, for me, yeah, yeah. what he's saying, and others have noticed this, they said, You know what? There's more of a, a moral, permissible um, way of interaction now that's been enforced 
because of the yeah. pandemic. But do you know what, Abdul Rahim? Mm -hmm. We were saying these etiquettes should have been practiced for decades because the Prophet showed us this. He showed us yeah, this. But still, how still, by the way, they're still refusing citizenship to people in Germany for not shaking hands with women. Yeah. yeah. They're still doing it. And they're, they're still, still fighting. They're still fining women for wearing niqab in France. Yeah. You know, even though they're fining people for not wearing it, <laughs> for covering their faces for not. Look at I that. Mean, Look at that. You know what, bro? You know what? Like Allah says in the Quran, right? Even if we took them up through the heavens and we showed them every single sign, yeah. There's some people will, they won't believe. It doesn't matter what. No. You know they won't believe. The only no. the only time some people will really wake up is when hellfire is burning their skins. Yeah, and they're roasting, and Allah's recreating their skins, and roasting them again so they can keep tasting the punishment. Then they won't be able to deny it, bro. Yeah. You know sometimes you think and you see Subhanallah. You know you have to you, you realize that's it, and that's the choice. Then but people made these choices, bro. They, they, these these are decisions and choices people made. Allah's, Allah says he'll show them the signs within themselves and on the first, furthest horizons until they know this is the truth, until yeah. they know it. That's um, right. So That's you're right. right on one hand, and maybe Allah has enforced this upon everyone to sort of give them a sign and to wake them up and to show them the possibilities. But the sad, the bottom line is, we, the human beings generally, when I say we, I mean we, the collective, all of us, all of our brothers and sisters in humanity, the good and the bad, yeah, right? We still have to make that choice. We have to That's make right. that choice, you know? That's right. Um, so, and I yeah. want to say, I think on, on that, Abraham, I think uh, as we're, we're pointing this out, um, as we're saying to the, the younger selves, okay, we, we wouldn't really address ourselves differently because Allah guided us, alhamdulillah, to the deen, mashallah, um, but to the younger self, to the young, the youth, I, I want to reiterate this hadith again to them uh, as a conclusion. And I would ask everyone to really put this at the forefront and, and to ponder upon it for yourselves, okay, in which, and I'll read it again. The Prophet them told us, take benefit of five before five, your youth before your old age, your health before your sickness, your wealth before your poverty, your free time before you are preoccupied and your life before your death. Now is the time looking at what we're looking at. We're, we're hearing of people dying around us that we've had mass burials we've witnessed in the UK where you've had Muslim uh, Muslims buried side by side in mass graves. Your life before your death, my brothers and sisters, our lives before our deaths. We don't know if this pandemic is going to afflict us. We don't know if it's going to afflict anyone even more that, that we know around us. We've seen masajid closed. We haven't been able to pray in the mosque like we used to do before. And those of us who are praying in the mosque, we've got this social distancing where we no longer stand heel to heel, shoulder to shoulder. So your life before your death, your free time before we become preoccupied with the busyness of the world again. So on that, I'd like to conclude and ask Abdul Rahim if there's anything else you want to say to, in conclusion on what has been another really enthralling show. I love when yeah, you speak up. You know what? I, there's one thing I'd like to say to anyone listening, yeah, especially the youth listening. 
and all the you know the parents of youth right sometimes shaitan can you know you can listen to someone like me and abdul haq and think oh well but these guys did all of those bad things you know and they came out all right on the other side yeah and you're just listening to the wrong part of the message there because right? the, 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 the right part of the message is you know, like we, we both would say we were really lucky that we came out on the right side. Yeah, it's only from Allah's mercy to us that that happened, right? Don't think that there's any guarantee that you're going to come out on the right side of it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee at all. You can just die right in the middle of living a wicked and evil lifestyle. And the other thing I just want to remind everybody is that, listen, those bad habits die hard. They die hard. It's not easy to break those habits. It is difficult. And I'm sure both me and Abdul Haq will testify to the fact that what a huge mental and spiritual battle and challenge it is. And this is the case for many reverts to leave those bad, bad, bad habits behind. We've talked about this in previous episodes, right? What was the hardest thing for us to give up when we became Muslim? Um, but yeah, I mean, all of these hadith that we've been mentioning, right, um, really evolve around, revolve sorry, around one particular thing, and that is the topic of death. And just remembering that death is very soon, it's very immediate, it's not something far away, it's not a long, long way away, right? All of our deaths are just around the corner, we are just numbered nights and days, that's all we are. We, you have a set number of nights and days and like every day is closer to your last day. And you don't know when it's going to be. The real reality is the day of judgment. That's a day of 50,000 years. How is your pathetic, our pathetic little life compared to the day of judgment? So what have we prepared for that day? What have we prepared for that meeting with Allah? You need to ask yourself now that same question that Abdul Haq was asked. If you die tomorrow, what are you going to say to Allah? I don't think there's any other way or note to end this on, but with that, and Jazakallah um, again, and to our audience, Jazakallah for your input, and we look forward to engaging with you next week. That was Abdurrahim Green. And that was Abdurrahim Baker. And this was a piece of cake. Salaam alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.